0: Well, welcome everyone to Mejita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergott from the CX Edge. I'm very excited. Today we're going to be talking about one of the hottest topics in the industry. I just got back from the Mahita Convention. Everybody was talking about automation, but more specifically talking about automation and technicians. So we thought, what better person to be with us today other than Mr. Steve Harrington? He's the industry liaison at the National Center for Supply Chain Automation, as well as a senior advisor of the Manufacturing Skills Standard Council. Welcome, Steve.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. I
0: know. We're so happy to hear you, and I. I I hope we can spend some time just unpacking this because I think you know, for a while now, I'd say the last 10 years for sure, everybody's been talking about getting into the technician automation space a little bit more, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not sure that everybody has fully wrapped their minds around how to do that exactly, especially with some of the labor shortages we're seeing on the technician service side. So thank you so much for being with us today. Um, We always like to start off Mahita Talks, just getting to know our guests a little bit better. I'm always fascinated about how people found their way into this space. So I was hoping you could give us a little bit of a background of how you even got started in this industry.
1: Well, it's so interesting that you say that or that you ask that because uh, I started off picking up boxes, going to college in a warehouse, working in a warehouse, you know, which would have been about 40 years ago. And back then there was no, I mean, there were not careers in warehouse. There wasn't even like schools of supply chain management, the study of the supply chains and all that sort of thing didn't even exist at the time. And uh, the nature of the work was very uh, uh, difficult. And it was man's work. I was 18 years old, you know, working in a warehouse for a major grocery company. And then, uh, you know, stuck with that as I worked my way through school and then ended up being promoted into management. And then my career went on from there. And uh, uh, further along, I ended up running an over-the-counter drug operation for a company named Perigo, which is a generic manufacturer of over-the-counter drugs based in Michigan. And it ran their West Coast operations for, you know, more than 12 years. But uh, at any rate, as, as all part of that, I ended up getting involved in the leadership of the Distribution Management Association of Southern California. And a big part of that... Was uh, You know, it's volunteerism, right? You have a paid administrator and a volunteer board, and, and it was through that I became connected with the education space after leading that group for about 12 years, and then ended up working for the National Center for Supply Chain Automation. You know, this is quite interesting, and a, a National Science Foundation funded a grant initiative um, and around the technician occupation, which is a great career pathway. So, uh, you know, just kind of at a 30,000 foot level, real high level, that's a little bit of my background, how I ended up here today.
0: Yeah, and I've heard stories like that before, and I always think it's so fascinating because you sometimes don't realize how the things you do, you know, around high school or maybe right after high school impacts. The rest of your life so much in some cases so that's a cool story thank you for sharing it now i have to be honest with you i wasn't really familiar with the national center for supply chain and automation uh, before we first spoke um since then sure. i've become more educated on it so i was hoping that you could share a little bit about that organization with our listeners
1: sure so the national center again was funded uh, through what's called STEM—science, uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics—and uh, it was a, a technician occupation. But who would have ever thought that STEM funding would end up in the logistics world, right? But it's just as uh, it it's occurring, the uh, movement toward automation in the today's modern warehouse uh, requires skilled technicians that need uh, technology and engineering backgrounds. So it was an emerging career pathway. And then uh, the National Science Foundation took a risk and funded the center. And the focus of the center, center's work was around the technician occupation, developing resources around that. Uh, my role, I was the industry liaison. You know, I had a background in industry, like I've already shared. And, uh, and then that combined with my leadership, volunteerism, right? Leadership in the uh, industry association, I had a lot of industry contacts. So I was responsible for pulling together an industry leadership team. Uh, consisting of uh, folks from Fortune 500 companies, uh, integrators, suppliers, uh, uh, package handling companies, things of that nature, and pulled that group together. And their role was to advise the academic team on the development, uh, the strategic um, uh, objectives of the National Center and the focus of the work, and then advise the Center on resource development, making sure that it was aligned with industry needs, that, you know, something that the work that was going on what had a, had a basis in industry. And so, um, you know, did that work for a number of years, but um, you know, the center progressed and as part of that uh, created a couple of things. I was able to work uh, with a group of industry leadership team members and we developed an e-textbook called Introduction to the Automated Warehouse, you know, designed as a, a survey course for uh, people entering the field of the supply chain. The thing that's interesting is the supply chain has 155 career pathways you know, throughout the the beginning to the end of the supply chain, including manufacturing and everything around that. And, uh, but people aren't aware of all of these career pathways. And so, um, uh, so with that said, um, you know, the work for the center was around again, one of them was the technician occupation. And, uh, so I worked with industry partners, developed the e textbook. And then the other thing was that as it related to, at the time, the emerging technician occupation, um, there were no forms of certification. There were no direct, uh, educational materials developed around it or anything like that. And so a continuation of the initial work that we did ended up being, uh, we'd learned there uh, again, a certification didn't exist. And, uh, we found some partners who were involved with the group, um, MHI, you know, the material handling industry of America who hosts Promat, Mahita, uh, and, um, the manufacturing skills standards council. And uh, so my role with the center at the time was doing the initial research around the occupation and I uh, convened industry groups from those industry leadership team members in forums a couple of different times and they took all the research that we gathered from those industry partners and packaged it up into a report which was sent on to the manufacturing skills standards council they as uh, a high stake certification body uh, took those skills and mapped them over and developed what were called the draft skill standards. And those draft skill standards were then vetted and uh, and approved by industry. And, uh, and then from that perspective, um, the uh, uh, kind of the back of the online aspect of it and the uh, course material behind the occupation and assessments around the occupation were developed. Then along that journey, another really interesting turn and an unintended outcome so there's a company named Amitrol, which is the largest supplier of training aids and hard trainers and e- e-learning around the industrial uh, technician space in the country. And uh, Amatrol came along and then developed a device, a training and assessment device called the Skill Boss Logistics device. And that device trains and assesses 100 hands-on skills that are needed by today's technicians and is fully aligned with the skill standards that were drafted by the Manufacturing Skill Standards Council, which are fully aligned with the research that I conducted uh, uh, with industry partners. So we ended up with a fully comprehensive turnkey solution for uh, upskilling technicians in today's modern logistics world. And so it's a pretty interesting odyssey in that work around the National Center. And so um at, at any rate, as part of that, that's how I ended up also with the role working with the Manufacturing Skills Standards Council.
0: Yeah, and you know, it really I love hearing that so many other organizations are kind of Im- involved in yes. helping the industry get to this place, that it's not done in a vacuum or, you know, from one company's perspective, that it's really this holistic view at the industry as a whole and how we can be better and how we can service the supply chain as technology is changing. So I think that's fantastic. So I wanna get into the automation discussion a little bit further. Um, You obviously have a lot of experience in this space. You talk about this space frequently. I was hoping we could start off just by talking about maybe some trends you're seeing on the material handling automation side.
1: So prior to COVID, as a result of e-commerce and the growth of e-commerce and the need to service customers quickly. Um, the, uh, with the growth of e-commerce, there began a need to adopt for companies to adopt uh, an increasing level of automated equipment and systems, technology as well, to be able to meet that need. I mean, many people don't think about when they click on that button on the computer and order something, all of the things that ha- happen behind the scenes in order to get that item to them. I mean, literally how does something come to your door in a day or two, or even in some cases in a matter of hours, you know, what, what sort of systems exist behind that. So as mm-hmm. e-commerce continued to grow, um, there began to be a, a greater need for automated automated equipment and systems in today's modern logistics environment. And then COVID came along and e-commerce adoption accelerated rapidly and hence, put a lot of pressure on uh, um, logistics companies. And so um, as a result of that, the need for or demand for automated equipment and systems has been exponentially growing to meet that e-commerce need. And um, right now e-commerce makes up around 20% of total US retail sales for consumer goods. And that's running upwards, creeping up on about a trillion dollars a year. And the difference between traditional shipping and receiving and e-commerce is that traditional shipping and receiving is done a carton at a time, a full case at a time or a pallet at a time, where e-commerce requires you to ship each, which then requires you to break open cartons and handle things in a lot, in a lot more different way. And so it's a lot more challenging, requires a lot more personnel, hence the growth in, in the sector in general. and um, and then you know, forward-looking, the more automated systems that companies use and adopt and install, the greater need there is or demand there is for skilled technicians to keep those systems operational. So you install them one time, but you have to keep them running day in and day out. And as it relates to companies who have automated systems, if those systems go down, um, the uh, cost to pay the technicians to keep them running Pales in comparison to the cost of those companies not being able to operate when they have crews of 20, 50, 100, 200, 300, 400 people who are unable to work as a result of a broken down system. So maintaining those systems is critical. And what's happened with um, with this technology in general? There's always been traditional, like industrial maintenance, which is electrical and mechanical in nature with the advent of technology, it is now electrical, mechanical and computerized motor controls. So the technology side of that, which which requires a technician with with a much higher level of skill set and a much more varied background. And so um, there's all, because the other side of that is they're also an issue with the existing maintenance staffs in a lot of companies not having the skill sets to take care of today's automated systems and hence the need for Um, incumbent worker, as we call it, or existing worker, uh, skill upgrades. But the whole field of study, um, from the academic side of the house anyway, um, falls underneath the realm of mechatronics, you know, or industrial automation or integrated systems or things of that nature. So um, the demand for automation continues to increase, and the demand for technicians continues to increase. And then beyond that, there's the whole population demographic sort of thing that's occurring in the U S is a baby boomers age. The reality is that between now and 2030, the U S uh, working age population is going to de- decrease about 18 million people. And those are people going over the age of 65. And what's going to, what's happening is that the age of the U S population is becoming more like Germany and Japan in terms of the need to adopt autom- automation. And automated systems. So there's also a a movement in that direction as a result simply of of population demographics. Um, On top of that, of course, um, the other move toward automation is being driven right now by the gap between the number of uh, jobs that are available and the number of people that are presently looking for work. If you look right now, there's I mean 11.5 million people looking for work. There's six point, uh, but there's 11.5 million jobs available, and about 6.3 million people looking for work. So there's quite a gap there, and it's because of a big piece of that is is because around three and a half million people didn't come back to work, and uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, starting their own businesses, uh, early retirements. There's a term called kind of long social distancing around people with autoimmune diseases. There's also um, some things that came out of COVID around um, drug and alcohol abuse and people who aren't ready to go back into the workforce. So all of those factors coming together are driving the automation trend.
0: Yeah. No, it's amazing when you think about it that only 20% of e-commerce, that only 20% of retail sales is e-commerce. Because a lot of us live in a world where everything we do is e-commerce. So if we think about over, you know, the last 10 years or so, this need for additional automation and people struggling to fill that service element, and that's such a small piece of the pie, considering where its potential growth potential is. And then you throw in the factors, as you mentioned, of, you know, people leaving the workforce or people not coming back to the workforce and automation continuing to expand. I think we're all going to be in a place, those of us who have businesses that service, customers that have equipment, are going to be in a position to really beef up our workforce to satisfy those needs. And it's not a temporary need. It's going to be a long-term need that will grow and grow and grow. Definitely. So, Definitely. you know, a lot of mahita members, a lot of the mahita members have forklift technicians sure. that they've tried in in some capacity, because historically that was the model. The majority of their customers they were servicing forklifts, and forklifts certainly have become more automated over the years than they were in the past. Um, but they've really just upped the skills of those technicians. Now they're in a position of either using that same workforce to fulfill the automation needs or hiring a new workforce to be able to do that. So, I was hoping we could go through some of the technical differences. And you had mentioned, I might not say it right, metatronics. metatronics Mechatronics. Mechatronics. <laughs> um, so, what are some of the technical differences between what you would look for in a forklift technician versus what you would look for in a material handling automation technician?
1: And so, I'm not necessarily from the technical side as it relates to those specific skills, but again, what I could share with you is that a traditional forklift mechanic is going to be more of a traditional, does traditional industrial maintenance in terms of care for that equipment, where a technician in today's modern supply chain, again, it's it's electrical, mechanical, and computerized motor controls. So there's going to be a higher level of electrical, uh, uh, electrical knowledge about electrical systems and how those operate and integrate. And then, of course, the computerized motor controls. You also understand that nowadays that that, um, technicians who work on forklifts in some cases are just are tapping into the forklift with their laptop and kind of looking at that and kind of figuring that sort of thing out. And the other part about, uh, you know, Mahita members, I mean, there's a movement toward AGVs, automated guided vehicles. And those are, you know, forklifts that that move goods around. Um, But the trend, the general trend is toward a movement toward more automated equipment and systems, more conveyorized systems, more sortation systems, and as a percentage of overall uh, you know, warehousing, a need for less forklifts. And the other issue for, um, of course, Mahita members is that the forklift sales business is extremely competitive. And margins on forklift sales tend to be in the single digit range. Where Um, The sales on the service side of it, when they're servicing customers, they're making margin both on the uh, labor of their technician who's out in the field, as well as on the parts that they mark up, you know, to their uh, end user customers. And those margins tend to be around 60 to 65%. So the opportunity for Meheta members, as the today's modern warehouse evolves and grows. And moves more toward automation is to either upskill the existing techs they have to be able to work on some of those systems, or literally add a division of those spe- those specialty skills to be able to do that sort of work. It's interesting in that um, if you look at Amazon as one example, okay, Amazon for the most part isn't responsible for any of the upkeep of their automated systems. They uh, subcontract on a third-party basis with CNW building services, CB, Richard Ellis, Jones Lang LaSalle and elite line services. And there's four different entities that handle it for them in different, in different parts of the country. And it's all third party contracts. And you know, there's an internal Amazon person who's a senior level that they, you know, the leader of the, one of those companies would work with, but the simple fact of the matter is that companies are looking to, um, utilize third party services more than they have in the past. Some companies are, and that also poses a significant opportunity for Mahita members, large, large companies are going to have big contracts. They're going to either do it in house or they're going to have big third party contracts with large companies. I think we're Mahita members have the opportunity is a lot of times smaller or medium sized enterprises, which is their customer base, where they do a lot of the focus of their lot of work. They also service, of course, larger members, but it's the opportunity to do that, to broaden their service and the part of their business sector that has larger margins. And there's actually a couple of meeting members who are looking to establish a division for that right now. And um, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to divulge anything personal are professional over the, uh, over a, a podcast like this, but that there uh, there's the, just to say, I, I talked about that, uh, certified technician supply chain automation program that was developed as a result of the work with the national center. And, uh, there's a company that's committed to that program and has actually cut a PO to be able to procure the device that teaches, uh, and assesses those hands-on skills and procure the e-learning curriculum behind that and get an instructor trained. And so um, um, hopefully that answers some of the nature of the question that you
0: have. Yeah, so let's go back to upscale upscaling technicians, I think, with the limited labor force and and certainly starting a new division is an option. But I think in today's environment with the limited labor force, sometimes limited resources companies are in a position that they need to first upscale current technicians before sure. they're able to find new technicians, maybe to start a division. Um, I know you were involved and in, you just kind of mentioned it. You were involved in the development of the industry certification for technicians focused on supply chain automation. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and is it a path To upscale current
1: technicians. Uh, It absolutely is. It's quite interesting. So as part of it, you have the e-learning, you know, the curriculum, the hands-on training. Uh, But but at the end of that path, there's what's called an assessment. And the people you complete a given, in this case, say at the the most foundational level, EM, which is equipment maintenance. Um, Somebody completes that module, that work, the associated hands-on work, and then they go to become assessed. Okay. And so as it relates to an existing worker, they don't need to complete any of the work or go through any of the training. They can go straight to taking the assessment. And if you pass the online and the hands-on, you earn your uh, EM certification, your uh, Certified Technician Supply Chain Automation Equipment Maintenance. And that proves that you have those skill sets to enable you to do that work at a foundational level and gives the employer confidence in that. And so, um, uh, So I can speak to this one that target has fully embraced this program nationally. Okay. What happened is we ran some pilots out of one of their facilities in California, prior to COVID and through COVID, and they've scaled it up and taken and grown their cohorts. They were running through the program and target is using the EM as a, somebody passes the EM, then they are qualified to become a technician level one. Somebody passes level two, which is ER equipment repair. That's technician level two in there that literally it's mapped over their job. Descriptions are mapped over to the certifications and at both junctures, the, 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 completion of the EM, they get a raise, um, the completion of the ER when they get promoted to level two, that's like a $5 an hour raise, you know, it's significant raise. And so it's a way for, um, employers to assess the skills of their existing workforce and then If there are areas where they're deficient, you know, which is they they don't quite know all of the skill set, it's easily identified. And then there's the uh, material is there to help them in in the areas where they're a little deficient to be able to bring their skills up to speed. And then again, retest out and then pass that certification. So uh, that's really interesting. And then the other part you touched upon, which is the tight workforce issue. So the other part of the target program is they're taking their frontline staff the, the people who are handling shippers and receivers and kind of the entry level part of their workforce. And they have put this program out there in terms of, are you interested in becoming a technician? And then if they indicate yes, then they have put them through a basic mechanical aptitude test to show that you at least have a mechanical aptitude. Myself, I do not, <laughs> you know, but a lot not of people, think, <laughs> yeah. And so then they have a pathway for their existing workforce to be able mm-hmm. to um, move through, go for enroll in the program, get accepted into the program, and then work forward on a career pathway basis, which is really rewarding for the technician, so for the frontline workers, you know, be able to, to move through a career pathway that has, uh, you know, really good wages. I mean, it's, you know, starting in the $22 to $25 an hour range, moving upwards in the 30, 30 plus range when they pass the second level of certification and the third level of the certification and our network repair is up over $40 an hour in, in this day and age. So it's quite a lucrative career pathway and people can grow then again from there. But uh, it's a whole path forward for existing workforce and frontline workforce in terms of creating a a career pathway and showing people that they are investing in them. So this is what's happened as a result of COVID. And I learned this uh, from an expert at a Mahita automation conference back in October. Traditionally, the, in terms of workforce issues, workforce training, investing in workforce was always done out of the CFO's office. And the metric was ROI return on investment. We invest in this program, we get this equipment, we set up this training room in this program, and then we have to take our people off the floor and upskill them and all that. There's a cost associated with that. So the the question was always from the CFO's office. What is the return on investment? What is the ROI for that? What is the payback? Is it 12 months? Is it 18 months? Is it 24 months? ROI and the CFO are out the door now, okay? It is now about business continuity. And if employers don't, invest in workforce development and look at their internal talent to develop that and collaborate externally with other partners, they're going to slowly become irrelevant and will be, you know, they'll be become shrinking uh, shrinking businesses. You're either, you know, green and growing or you know brown and dying, right? So it's important to note that the COVID has accelerated this trend from ROI as a metric to continuity as a metric. It's business continuity is the key.
0: Well, I just want to make sure our MAHIDA members know how to find more information on sure. the industry certification if they're interested.
1: Sure. And so it's Manufacturing Skills Standards Council has uh, information posted uh, on the uh, MSSCUSA.org or Manufacturing Skills Standards Council. You can Google that and click on it and uh, there's you know drop down menus about all of the certifications that. MSSC offers. There's there's certifications uh, for uh, manufacturing. There's certifications for frontline workers uh, in the logistics space. And along with uh, the certified forklift technician program that was designed in collaboration with Mejita. And uh, and then of course, the certified technician supply chain automation program. So you touched earlier, uh, Sherry, on um, the, it was nice that industry came together with the national center in terms of Kind of the development of what industry needs. And that is the essence about everything that was developed by, that has been developed by the Manufacturing Skills Standards Council. It has all been industry driven. Uh, MSSC came out of uh, the uh, National Skills Standards Act in the late uh, 1998, I think it was, uh, by the Clinton administration and uh, went and developed what was initially the Certified Production Technician or CPT certification for manufacturers. And that was developed based on input from 600 employers. And it's all of the core skills that are needed in any manufacturing operation in the country around uh, its quality, safety, um, production and maintenance awareness. So um, you don't want to say that as well about MSSC is a high stake certification body that's endorsed by NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers. That's ISO accredited and recognized by the Department of Defense. There's programs with the, the, the military. Based on MSSC certifications, there's programs with the prison systems, adult education uh, entities, community colleges, and technical schools and high schools across the country.
0: I mean, that's, yeah. a, lot. There's that's a, lot. a lot. I don't know that people realize there's as much information available as there is. So thank you for sharing that yes, with us. Yes, of course. So, Steve, I know it's your first time here on Mahita Talks um but you have actually made it to our lightning round section Uh of Uh our podcast so i have 10 questions for you they're all designed to get to know you a little bit better um i try to keep them as appropriate as possible so i'm going to ask you a question the first answer that comes to your head um feel free to to blurt out okay are you ready sounds fair all right i try to start it off easy would you rather Find your dream job, or win the
1: lottery. So I, it's kind of interesting you ask that because our, our family's fairly affluent, and uh, I don't I don't need to work. You know we have significant income off stocks, bonds, real estate, and all that sort of thing. So continuing to work and to do something that's meaningful uh, in the space that I'm involved with is uh, is pretty rewarding. It's nice to win the lottery and to get a lot of money, but well, you know that money doesn't necessarily bring ha- uh, happiness. We're being kind of productive. You know what? We are all here to be of service. You spend the first 25 years of your life uh, er, learning. You spend the next 25 years uh, uh, earning. And then once you get into your 50s, you got to start giving back. You know, we're not put on this planet to see what we can take from it. We're put on this planet to see what we can get, what we can contribute to it. So, um, you know, with that said, I think that's my answer.
0: That answer. (laughs) Do you prefer social time or alone time?
1: Uh, I like to be social, uh, but I also like to be alone at times. I mean, it's kind of a combination of, I mean, always putting yourself out there and always being on can be challenging and and be at times a little stressful, you know, but, um, uh, you know, it's a matter of business versus personal too. I mean, I love being around my family. I love playing with my grandson, you know, that's definitely being social, love time with my granddaughter as well, but uh, it's also time, you know, it's good to get alone time on occasion. So.
0: What is the dumbest way you've ever been injured?
1: Um, probably standing on a chair trying to change a air filter above my head, and uh, and then having the base of the the the, the chair the um, part I was standing on kind of collapse and then fall and injure my ribs. And there's one other. It's like reaching into a trash can and having the trash can tip over and hurt my ribs. Another second time. So, you know, as as you get older and you're not as nimble and quick as you used to be, sometimes some of those things can get you. So, that's off the top of my head, you know, what I can think about.
0: What job do you think you would be horrible at?
1: So, I'm not a good writer per se, an administrator, like a paperwork bureaucrat. I was offered the job of being what was called the principal investigator are the leader of the National Center for Supply Chain Automation. And that requires a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork, a lot of report filing and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are good at that and steeped in that, but that's not my, my, uh, um, that's not what I'm good at. Um, you know, I like, I like to drive toward results and to make things happen.
0: Which appliance can you not live without?
1: Uh, what appliance? Um, my razor, <laughs> I like to stay that's clean right. shaven, but my <laughs> wife would say that it's, it's our washer and our dryer, right? Cause it, she helps yeah. me, you know, she does the laundry for us. So, and the dishwasher is important too, of course. Right.
0: And the microwave and the fridge. Yeah, the yeah, whole, yeah. Yeah, 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. What is the perfect temperature to set your thermostat?
1: So during the day. 74 at night, 67. I need it what cool is it? at night so that I can you get underneath the covers and uh, it's just more so cozy. Great. Yeah.
0: What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning?
1: So first thing I do well, I shower and check my these days, check my phone, I like to see what messages have come in. I turn off my turn off my uh, ringer or, you know, so I don't get any messages at night because the thing about being on the West Coast, is that I'm three, everybody's three hours ahead of me. And I had to start doing that uh, because you get message's five in the morning, you know, when I've got right. the phone going off and it's like, it's eight o'clock in, on the East Coast. So um, anyway, those, those things in combination.
0: How many keys do you have in your key ring?
1: Three. three, I don't even have a house key on my key ring.
0: I know it used to be like 10, 20 and now like I'm down to one, I
1: think. Yeah, and it's only because um, three because we have a second house. So I have key to the other house too.
0: And finally, what chore do you hate doing?
1: What chore? Um, I, I, you know be what a that, it can't, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, both, most of my life's around working and, um, uh, all of my other needs are kind of taken care of. And so, um. I don't know, something, for me, it's kind of like having to write something like that's detailed in nature. I know that's really not a chore per se, but uh, you may. know if that serves, I hire service people to handle all our stuff and my wife helps with the kind of domestic stuff, so not a good answer. Well,
0: but. Steve, you've made it through our lightning round that's and you made it through our podcast. Thank you so much. You've shared a lot of information in a very short amount of time. And I really appreciate you taking your time out today to help us with that. Are there any kind of parting words you want to leave our members with?
1: Sure. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think that Mahita is the uh, most well-run association that I've ever come across uh, from the leadership, from the top down in terms of being connected with its membership and having its finger on the pulse of membership and then driving programming around member needs in a real, in a real way. There's a lot of associations that do a lot of lip service, but if you look, you pull the curtain and what they're doing is not supportive of other memberships. So uh, that would be my parting comment and I really have a huge admiration for Liz Richards on a personal level.
0: Me too. Me too. Well, thank you again, Steve. It was so nice talking to you. This has been Mahita Talks with Sherry Altergad. Hope to see you guys next time. Bye.
1: Thank you. Bye bye.